is three women and a bottle of wine. Three friends. Three former TV reporters. And one bottle of wine. Delving into whatever interests us. News, not news, what affects our lives, because it's probably affecting yours too. Oh yes, I'm Kim Inslee. I'm Lynn Melling. And I'm Julie Barkey. And now on with the pod. Well, hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for Three Women and a Bottle of Wine. And can you ask for a better lineup as we are, you know, holidays are coming, everybody's busy. Hello, everybody. I'm Kim Inslee. And I'm Lynn Melling. You're right, Kim. This is a must-listen episode for anyone who spends time in the kitchen over the holidays. I'm really not one of them. I wish I could say that I was. But So who better to coach us than a critically acclaimed chef, restaurateur, and caterer to help us out? And everybody, I'm Julie Barkey, and we are camped out at Bardo, which opened in August of 2017, and it's received glowing praises, including very high marks from the Star Tribune and Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine. Owner and executive chef Remy Pettis joins us to help you with planning and executing supreme holiday meals, sides, whatever it is that you bring to the table. Thank you for having me. Great to have you here. So I have walked by Bardo and it's an elegant, wonderful restaurant. Tell me a little bit about the vibe, and I also want to hear about how you came to the name. Well, it, the, the vibe is uh, meant to be a very casual approach to fine dining. Um, it's meant to be welcoming and be before the neighborhood, um, but not uh, pretentious and not uh, feel, I don't want anybody to feel like they're underdressed or they can't come in here for any one reason or another. So we do happy hours, late night and early night. Um, and then we try to um, do everything at a really high level, um, execution-wise, to sort of bring fine dining to, uh, to a more approachable audience. And cool name, too. So Bardo, where did that come from? So Bardo is uh, from Tibetan Buddhism. It is a transitional state between death and life. And so this, this room we're in used to be a funeral home, actually. Um, and so in, in Buddhism, when you, when you pass, then you go into a Bardo where you wait for seven weeks um, until you're reincarnated and it's a it's a period full of opportunity creativity potential um, and it's a very optimistic way about looking at transition and so I wanted to bring some of the um, history of the building into the name and then um, and then the, the the reason why Buddhism is relevant is because it was through a Buddhism class in college that I um, decided to go down this path and th through the meditation that I learned it, uh, I taught myself that I needed to drop out of college and and go into restaurants. What, oh, wow. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? That's fascinating. What was it about studying Buddhism that brought you to being a chef and cooking? Well, it was mostly the meditations that I learned um, in, in, the, in that class. And so um, I, I took a lot of different classes in college and I took all kinds of 101 classes and I never like got any sort of excitement about a single path that I wanted to dedicate a career to. Um, and so uh, when I went, took this Buddhism class, just because it was an interest of mine, um, I learned how to meditate. And then through that, I, I sort of realized that this, isn't, this was not the place for me. College wasn't the right track for me. You know, it's not for everybody, and I'm proof of that. Um, and so I, I figured out that I needed to, you know, transition. And so I started working in restaurants as I dropped out. And, uh, and, then, and then the rest sort of fell into place. And so do you find cooking to be meditative? Most definitely, yes. Okay, so for people who don't, 
How do you think they might be able to get into that state? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, ter- it terrifies me, to be perfectly honest. Well, I, I would probably uh, recommend uh, learning a meditation first and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then applying it to the kitchen. Well, and it's very, it's an appropriate question, especially leading into the holidays, because a lot of people get really stressed out about the mm-hmm. expectations of holiday entertaining and mm-hmm. cooking. So mm-hmm. I guess that's a really good segue, maybe, on talking a little bit about the holidays and, you know, some of the things that you like to bring to the table. Yeah, and so we... And in my family, we always have uh, uh, set holiday meals, you know, the, the meal for Thanksgiving and Christmas are the exact same every year um, with just a couple little tweaks. And each year we try to, you know, improve on one little dish or the other. Um, my mother does most of the cooking and that's, uh, that's by choice. And she wants to, you know, that's her sort of uh, opportunity to, thing, to yeah. sort of uh, show off in the kitchen a little bit. Um, and then I usually just help out and uh, just help tweak things and you adjust need a night off from cooking, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Do you do the dishes? Uh, I do some of them. But wow, you're a good son. <laughs> good son. I'm just to say that's your mom's way of showing love for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. So, do you have any whether it's whatever holiday people celebrate? Because really, food is a way for us to celebrate all year long, right? And have friends and celebrate our friendships. So as we get into the winter months and we have a lot of holidays coming up, are there specific things that, I don't know, make, make you feel the spirit of the season or the, 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 the coziness of winter that we love? Yeah, I think, the, I think it's just the, the changing of the seasons. You know, the, the weather has a lot to do with it, you know, and, you know, a lot of people don't dread the, the cold, but I also want to, <laughs> like, wear warm clothing, you know. So mm-hmm. it's, there's, there's the comfort aspect of, of, the, of the weather changing and getting colder, and I think that sort of gets me ready for the holidays. Are you a soup guy in the winter? I love soup, yes. <laughs> I was just going to say, so that's the only thing that I know how to make in my crock pot mm-hmm. is split pea soup. <laughs> I have two recipes that I, that I can execute. So I'm curious to know, as someone who's terrible in the kitchen, do you have any tips and tricks for the holidays or for outside of the holidays for people who struggle to get in there and be brave in the kitchen? Yeah, I think the the, the biggest tip that I could give people is, you know, know how to season. You know, that's the most uh, important thing for, you know, a, a home cook, to, I think, to, to masters because... Um, it doesn't matter how good your preparation is. If you can't season it right, it's not going to taste like anything. And so um, when and a lot of people try to season less because they are worried about over seasoning mm-hmm. something. Um, and so I just as a guide, you know, as um, your taste buds are all around your mouth and you know, the ones in your front of your tongue are the ones that are um, that are the least sensitive to salt. So um, as you season with salt you sort of track in your mouth, like where do you taste this food? You know, is it in the back of your mouth? And if, if, it's, if you can't taste it throughout your entire mouth, then you need more seasoning. And same thing with acid and, um, and spices like that. So just you season, as, and as you season little by little, you can sort of feel that flavor coming to the front of your mouth. And once it gets to the front of your tongue, then that's when you stop. So let's explore a little deeper there and tell our viewers and us some of your favorite seasonings to use with some specific cuts of meat or poultry. Yeah, I mean, I like, uh, uh, I mean, obviously salt and pepper is a, is a staple, but I also really love to use um, paprika. You know, there's various different heats and uh, flavors of paprikas. And what do you use that on? on? On a lot of things. I use paprika almost as much as I use uh, black pepper. Um, and so it's, I use it on fish, fish meats, um, lots of different proteins, anything that you're going to get a, um, a, any sort of caramelization or blackening on. It's a great, mm. it's a great blackening spice. And then garlic is the other one. When I was in oh, yeah. when I was in cul- culinary school, um, in their intro to gastronomy class, the my teacher said, you know what? If we ran out of salt, 
we'd be fine. We'd be able to <laughs> figure out something. But there's other <laughs> things that we can get saltiness out of. If we ran out of garlic, we'd have to shut the school down. Huh. No. <laughs> so the time to experiment really isn't the holidays necessarily when you know you have a lot of people coming over. Right. So just for the sake of it, like I said, helping out people listening out there who want to prepare something beautiful, here's their chance to get some advice, sage advice from Remy. Chef Remy, what would you use? What would be your spices or seasonings for, let's say, a prime rib? Uh, so one of, the, one of the things I really like to use, especially when uh, doing like roasts and something that's got a lot of fat in that, is, is uh, throw some, whatever you're going to season and rub, rub it with, um, throw some coffee in there. You know, the coffee is this really sort of this je ne sais quoi flavor that, you know, in a... Je ne sais quoi. I love that. In a, in a rub that, you know, it, it just gives this like sort of depth and... Um, and character and savoriness, um, but you, when you when you when you finish it and you taste it, you you just don't know why it tastes like that. Why it tastes so good? That How about poultry? Let's say turkey. Um, turkey, I love the, the like the blackening spices, some chilies, um, some mm-hmm. yeah, chilies, garlic, um, a lot of stuff like that. A lot of herbs are great time. And a lot of people do the sub- feast of seven fishes. So anything in particular for poultry, or I'm sorry, for fish. Um, fish, fish, I like Besides to, paprika. you know, well, in, in fish, I, I usually will try to, you know, just highlight the flavor of the fish. So fish, I'll usually use um, very minimal seasoning with the exception of a little bit of salt. Um, I'll usually rest it on a bed of some of, of herbs before cooking it while it's raw. So it can, the fish is a very absorbent flesh, so it can, it'll absorb some of that flavor. Um, and then I'll squeeze a little bit of lemon on, on it. Um, when it's done, um, not on this, if the skin's crispy, definitely don't squeeze it over the crispy skin, squeeze it on the bottom before you flip mm-hmm. it over. But, um, a little bit of lemon, a little bit of salt and, uh, some thyme. Mm. One of the, we're, we're so blessed with an incredible restaurant scene in the twin cities. So as you know, as you look out, if you're going to go out and you're not going to eat it at Bardo because you can any night of the week, um, what, what do you find interesting out there in the restaurant scene right now? Um, I think I think Grand Cafe is uh, the best restaurant in oh. Minneapolis right now. Um, and I even in, if, if I were to include Bardo in the whole mix, I would still say Grand Cafe is the best restaurant. I think you're, you're a Jamie Malone fan, I'm a huh? Huge, huge Jamie Malone <laughs> fan. What she's doing is uh, is um, the the level of execution and technique that she has is is something that I don't think we've we've had here before. When I love with the location of Bardo, when you think about all the culinary experiences, you've got downtown close by, which kind of has its own little you know, flavor, you have Northeast right here. You're kind of this intersection of a lot of different subcultures right here in Minneapolis. What would you say you're, you're, when your people are coming in to dine, do you see a nice mix or do you see a specific clientele gravitating here? Most definitely. We have a very diverse clientele. Um, we have a, every, there's a lot of uh, older people in the neighborhood. There's a lot of younger people mm-hmm. associated with university. Um, there's a lot of um, empty nesters. There's a lot of uh, young professionals that are, you know, living in the North Loop that's right across the bridge. Um, there's a, the theater crowd from the Mill City District. You know, it's, it's very diverse. We get all kinds of different people here. You're in one of my favorite uh, neighborhoods in town. I just think it's amazing here. And to that point, so you were in Chicago. You were in California. What made you decide to gravitate back to Minnesota? Well, I was born and raised here in South Minneapolis, and it was always... Uh, the plan to um, to return once I had developed enough experience um, to to build a build a repertoire and a, and a style and find my own style of cooking. So I, I went and traveled and uh, worked in a few different other cities and then 
Um, and then when I felt that, that I had, that I was ready to move on to the chef level instead of you know just a line cook, then that's when I moved back to, to start working towards this. Well, we sure are glad you are back. And uh, yes, we absolutely are. And we're going to take a short break. And when we return, it's uh, a fan favorite, The Final Flight. Three Women and a Bottle of Wine is supported by 515 Productions. 515 Productions is a video production business with base camps in Minneapolis and Des Moines, Iowa. Ian, who's so great, and his crew understand the art of creative storytelling. And they know how to make video look really, really good. Learn more at 515productions.com. Our logo was created by Aaliyah DeSalt, a creativity guru offering art workshops to everyone from business executives to book clubs because we all have untapped creative potential just waiting to be unleashed. You can find her contact information on our website. You can stay up to date on our podcast by checking out our website, threewomenandabottleofwine.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you'll find behind-the-scenes photos and, of course, much, much more. Be sure you don't miss an episode. Subscribe to our show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back with chef and restaurateur Remy Pettis. All right, chef, the final flight. It's a quick-fire round of questions that we shoot your way. The first, what's your favorite thing to cook at home? Uh, my favorite thing to cook at home is probably the same as my favorite thing in a restaurant, and that's duck. You know, I just like, like getting a, one whole duck, and, you know, you can use the whole animal. You can render the fat. You can, you know, braise the legs. You can, you know, roast the breasts. You can use the carcass for a stock. You can, you know, use the livers. You know, it's the whole thing is, is, is just great. You can glaze the hearts. You know, uh, the whole thing is a, is a great animal, and it's so much fun to cook. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to go off script from what Julie had here. So people stress out over what kind of wine to serve. Is it going to be red or white or whatever? And they get really stressed out. So do you have any tips on, on when you're serving, you know, whatever beverage with the meal? Yeah, I would say um, a lot of it obviously has to do with the meal. So if, if you're somebody that likes to put a lot of uh, like spiciness and sweetness into, mm-hmm. into your food, then, then you're going to want uh, a wine that is going to have match that sort of speed, sweetness or some, a lot of richness and, and body. Um, but I, and I would also say a lot of people like just go straight to, you know, straight to big cabs and Riojas and, and things like that. And so I would challenge people to sort of try, try some of the lighter bodied reds, you know, try like a Gamay. The ga- like a Gamay, I think, is the most food friendly and versatile, you know, type of grape that there is. And that's um, what our wine list is based around is the, is the Beaujolais wines that feature that grape. Mm. And I want to go off script here a little bit too. As someone who's terrible in the kitchen, I'm dying to know what's your a bad habit that you want to break in the kitchen are there any like bad habits that you you're trying to perfect oh i don't i don't know it's always um everything is is always built around awareness i guess you know the more the more aware you can train yourself to be the the more you can like sort of teach yourself how to how to how to be a better better cook but you know i don't i, don't, I can't think of any of my bad habits that I, like, <laughs> something tells really me you want. do okay <laughs> Yeah, I, I've, I've, <laughs> I've got a few. Maybe I just don't want to advertise. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Remy Pettis, thank you so much for joining us and for hosting us here at your lovely restaurant, Bardo, and for being such a wonderful guest. We Most of Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you, everybody, for listening to this Three Women and a Bottle of Wine. 